Have you ever wondered how it is that some companies are able to remain strong and seemingly able to withstand just about any external pressure? You know, with all of these things that are they're happening in the world from rising costs and supply chain issues and even this looming threat of a global recession? Well, what is it about these companies? Do they have some sort of secret formula? How is it that they seem to hold on to great people? while many other companies uh, are struggling with turnover and really, really struggling to find great people. Now, maybe you're experiencing some of these issues and you have some of these concerns and you're turning to podcasts like this, hoping to find some answers. Well, if that's you, you know what? You're in luck because today we've got some of those answers for you. So we go before we go any further, you might want to grab a notebook and get ready to take some notes because I'm joined by my good friend, Ken Trupke. Now, Ken uh, is going to appeal to leaders who are looking to, to have him help them identify issues that are preventing them from growing their business. You know, but what I like most about how Ken approaches all of his work is that he believes that every person is motivated and wants to do work that excites them and to be part of something greater than themselves and and overall just feel valued and appreciated. Now, if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Hey, my name is James Mayhew. And really, I started this podcast with one thing in mind, and that was to help you ensure that every person in your company has the knowledge, skills, and confidence to do their jobs exceedingly well. I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump in and learn from Mr. Ken Trupke. Yeah, well, you're right on, James, that whether we're in the recession or headed to recession, there's concern and inflation is concerning as well to business leaders and business owners. And that boils down in a lot of instances and people that I'm talking with to their people to finding and retaining the right people. And that's really a concern always. You're always looking for the right fits for your team. And there's usually some level of transition on your team. People are leaving as different seasons come and go in their lives. And so you're often bringing people on if only to replace people that are leaving, but often you're, you're growing and you're bringing in new teammates as you grow. That's where I'm hearing a lot of stress and concern and, and some anxiety around as things get tough, as inflation goes up, is that going to drive salaries up? As recession hits and sales drops, how will I keep my best people? And so it's, it's a lot of conversation and concern around my team and how do I, again, retain and, and recruit the team that I need to, to weather this storm. And whether, again, whether we're in it or getting to it, and even if you don't believe there's recession anywhere around, we're not in it and it's not coming, well, still, how do I take my team from where I am to where I want to be? Attracting and retaining great people has been and will continue to be a top priority for smart business leaders, regardless of external factors. So what is Ken's approach to helping companies become recession resistant? Well, where I like to start is with core values. And I think that you need to know how you're going to behave as a team, what's expected and what's what's desired. What is behavior that we want to see and what's behavior that's not acceptable? Seth Godin says uh, a culture is people like us do things like this. So whether you're intentional or it's just happening, every team, every family, every business, any group of people has a culture because it's essentially the collection of those individual behaviors. So you have a culture, whether you 
made that intentionally or it's just happening because it's these people behave this way. But when you're intentional about it, you say, okay, we're going to behave this way. We're going to be, we want people that do these things. People like us that serve our customers do things like this. And you can get clear on that. And then that helps to be, have a bedrock. Now you can start hiring on those bases. Now you can coach on those bases. Now you can help people to achieve their goals with that basis. And just frankly, practically, you're bringing the right people in and the wrong people are leaving. And and by right and wrong, I mean people that are a fit for you. They're not good or bad people and they're not skilled or not skilled. It's not that. It's that they don't fit who you are and who you want to be as a team and as a culture for your team. A company's willingness and ability to understand its culture is vital for its long-term success. Defining the core behaviors are an essential piece, but how do you determine when someone is the right or the wrong culture fit for your company? There's a lot of personality and behavior type assessment tools out there. There's Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and DISC, and I like a lot of them for a lot of different reasons, but there's another one that I think is unique, and that is StrengthsFinder. So StrengthsFinder, rather than have four or six or eight different kind of buckets to to put people or combinations of things, there's 34. And the probability of having, so when you take the assessment, you get your top five. And the probability of having your top five in your specific order, because you get them in the order, like this is my strongest strength, this is my second strongest strength, you know, and, and they give you the, the, your top five. The probability of you having the same top five in the same order as anybody else is something like one in 33 million. And so it's very specific. It's even though there's 34 choices to get them in the same order as you have them, very unusual. So for core values, what I like to, to teach people to do and to, to work toward is to have the things, the behaviors that you really do in your business that combined as, again, like three to five is a good uh, number of core values. So when you combine those, maybe each one of them isn't unique. Maybe other companies have one or two of your five, but together combined your five, the way you think of them makes you unique. Now, now hopefully not one in 33 million unique such that you can't find anybody. But, you know, there's, only, there's only four people in the whole world that could work for you. But the idea is that it defines you specifically. And now we know we're looking for people like this. And it's a very specific like this. And so you can't have things, I I don't think anyway, things like integrity or honesty. Those don't work that well because they're kind of common to everybody. Like who's got the core value that's like dishonesty and unfairness, like right? Nobody, nobody's promoting that. So it's either something that we all want or that it's kind of the unspoken table stakes. So what we're going for is something a little more specific. So at a number of companies I've worked with, we've had something along the lines of put others first. So that's going to be how we're going to treat each other. We're, we're going to put our customers first. We're going to put our teammates first. We're going to strive to put others first. Now, of course, if everybody put everybody else first, nothing would get done. That's not the point. The point is our intention is to always be putting others first. Whether I actually go first or you actually go first, each of our intentions was to let the other one go first because that's our mindset. Now, that one's relatively unique, but it's not universally unique. But now I start combining that with three or four other 
very specific core values. And pretty soon I've got a list that's pretty narrow in terms of like who is going to fit these five things and who doesn't fit. And that's really the point is that you want to get to a place where it's clear that somebody is aligned with these five things and or they're not aligned with those five things. And then that gets back to that. People like us do things like this. People like us on this team, we do things this way. These five things are how we do things. And, and if that resonates with you, you might be a fit here. And if that doesn't, that's okay. Doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't mean you're unskilled. It just means you're probably not a good fit here. And when people start introducing that, oftentimes you have some turnover because people realize, oh, if that's how we're expected to behave, if that's what this company is all about, well, then I'm not really a fit here. And, and it might not be, again, it's, that's why like honesty and integrity kind of doesn't work. It's like, oh, I'm super dishonest. I guess I can't work here. Um, it's more... Like, well, I tend to put myself first. I tend to, I've got a very specific career path for myself and I've got things I want to achieve and, and, and my kind of core value personally is I want to put myself first because I want to get some things accomplished. That's totally fair. That just doesn't fit here where we put others first. Now, in case you missed it, Ken just dropped some really solid wisdom about determining how someone is a cultural fit. And he was factoring it through this filter. People like us do things like this. And he gave an example of putting others first. Now, I love this because highly successful companies not only understand who they are and how they're different, but they continue to tap into those qualities. In the next section, Ken and I discuss the concept of accidental culture shift and how companies actually can inadvertently stray from what made them uniquely better. Typically, when somebody says something like innovation, it's aspirational in that that's not really who they are. It's who they want to be. And, and, and innovation is actually a really good one because I've seen that in a number of companies who frankly weren't very innovative, but they're like, well, Apple and Google and companies we admire and aspire to be like, well, they have those core values. So we want to have that core value. And again, it's okay to have a core value shared with another company, but you have to really be that person. That has to be a real core value to you. And so where I've seen it go off the rails a little bit is somebody says, oh, I want to be like Apple. They're innovative. I want to be innovative. Boom. Innovation is a core value for us, but it's not really. And you start seeing that because, because, it, because it's not truly core. Everybody's not behaving as if innovation is important. And so we're not listening to other people. We're not talking about it in meetings. We're not giving airtime to new ideas. All things that would suggest they're not really innovative and so my suggestion in that case is either let's embrace innovation and let's figure out what it's going to look like in this organization and really do those things and call each other out when we're not doing those things. Because that's an important part of core values is that it's, it's, we, we aspire to do these things or we desire this kind of behavior and we're willing to call people out when they're not following it. Not obviously in front of everybody, but privately like, hey, I noticed you know, we, we, we say put others first. I noticed that you, you weren't really doing that in this meeting. Like you haven't attended this meeting in three weeks. Well, I don't need to be there. I have everything I need. Well, you having everything you need isn't the point of that meeting. It's to make sure everybody has what they need. And that for you to say that sounds like you don't put others first. 
you know, so, so back to innovation, Hey, we're gonna have to figure out what does it look like to be innovative, innovative? Are we gonna have, we're gonna start every meeting with some new ideas. We're gonna start with like maybe a blank sheet of paper exercise. I've seen that where literally every meeting starts with a two minute exercise, a blank sheet of paper. Everybody writes down ideas. And it's just meant to remind us that, oh yeah, we're always thinking, we're always creating every meeting all the time. We at least carve out a little bit of time to be innovative because it's a core value. That's kind of option one. Option two is stop kidding yourself. You're not really innovative. That's okay. Who really are we and who do we really want to be and really want to be like, we're going to invest the time and energy to really be that thing. Not we really want to, so we're going to write it down, but not really do it. Those are kind of the two options. Like, look, either really own it and figure out what it takes or admit it's not you, understand that's okay, and then figure out what really is you. If you've spent any time studying business leadership and organizational culture, you've probably stumbled across Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Ken explains in this next segment how you can recession-proof your company by ensuring that every department, every team, and every individual are aligned to the purpose of the company. Another one that I think starts high level, but same thing, you drill it down when it becomes reality, is your why. You know, there's a famous YouTube talk, uh, I'm sorry, TED talk by Simon Sinek, Start With Why, and then he wrote a book. And part of the premise there was that it was around Apple and how they innovated and they started with why, why they were doing what they were doing, and then the what and the how kind of fell out from there. I don't think that's true from a customer standpoint. I don't think in the end your customers care why you do what you do. Now, there's a couple of examples of companies that buy one, they give one to charity kind of thing. And so there's a a why built in there. But in the end, your customers come to you to solve a problem. I have a problem. Can you help me? That's the customer's question. Can you help me solve my problem? And so I don't really care why you're doing what you're doing as long as what you're doing helps me. And that's, that's just how, how it's, how it works. Now, where I do think why is vitally important is with your team. I do think you want to come up with a why because I think people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want to feel good about where they work. They want to know that this is making a difference in the world, that we are solving problems for people that I feel are important and I align with and I'm excited about. So why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we have this company? Why are we on this team? I think it's very important to define that why. Jim Collins calls that a core purpose. What is the purpose of this business? What are we trying to do? What problem are we trying to solve? And that's pretty foundational for your team. And if you want to recession-proof your team, again, they want to come to work somewhere they can get excited about and feel good about, and they're going to stay with you more than just about the money if they're aligned around your purpose. If they can buy into why you do what you do and why you serve who you serve, then the money becomes less important. Now, hear me clearly money can totally demotivate. When you find out you're not making enough or not making what's fair in the market or not making as much as your your neighbors or your teammates, that can demotivate you. It rarely motivates. It only kind of motivates for a minute there while you get excited about your raise or your bonus and then you kind of go reset your lifestyle and back you go, but it can demotivate. But what you want in a recession-proofed culture is that that's not the most important thing. That's not the thing on people's mind all the time. What's on their mind is why are we doing what we're doing? 
What is our why and our mission? And then it ties into those core values. Now we know why we're going to do what we're going to do. Now, how are we going to do it? The core values get into that how. So they both start out fairly high level, but they really drill down quickly and practically to everyday life. And frankly, if they don't, they're not really real and people will sniff that out as well. People can tell we just have great radar for when it's authentic and when it's not authentic. And so you can have your core values and they can be unique and really tied down. But if you're not living them, it's not real. You just did it to do the exercise because Ken and James thought core values was important. Well, people are going to sniff that out. And if that's not really your mission, like we're in business for this reason to serve these people because we think it's really important. And if you don't really think it's important, you just think it's, you know, this makes a great lifestyle business, or this is a really good market opportunity that we can capture a lot of revenue on. And that's okay, but don't think your people aren't going to sniff out that that's not really your why. But when you have that why and you have those core values nailed, man, they, they penetrate down to people. And that's what starts leading to a recession-proof team. Employee engagement is consistently a hot topic between executives and other business leaders. So how do you get people engaged? And how do you keep them engaged in their work? Yeah, the biggest thing is it comes back to communication. When there's no communication, where there's a void or a vacuum, people fill that and they typically fill that with negative. We don't usually say, I don't know what's happening, but I'm sure it's going to all be great. <laughs> right? We say, I don't know what's happening and I'll bet I'm going to get fired or I bet we're losing sales or I bet a big customer just quit or I bet they're going to cancel that new project. Like We just naturally fill it with negativity. And so one of your roles as a leader at whatever level in the organization, certainly the higher you go in the organization, the more important it is to communicate regularly and clearly and consistently. You've, got, you've just got to let people know what's happening. You've got to say, this is what's going on. This is what we're trying to accomplish. So, you know, once you've got that why we're going to do it with that, that core purpose, and you've got the how we're going to do it with those core values, now you can get into the what it is actually that we're going to go do. That gets into strategy and tactics and, and big rock kind of stuff. So, what, what, are we, what are the big things we're going to go do? And you got to be clear about those. Now, you got to limit them. You can't have 30 people going in 43 directions. You got to limit them to like, let's really focus on a handful of things, three to five. A lot of people following traction or following scaling up, call them big rocks. That's what I call them. That's what I teach uh, and coach on is, is identifying your big rocks. What are those priorities this quarter that we're going to all rally around and, and move the ball down the field? And so, to keep people aligned, You've got to communicate what those things are. And when you don't communicate what those things are, I believe everybody comes to work trying to do their best. But when you're not clear about what good looks like, what winning looks like, what we're trying to accomplish here, well, then they're just going to have to guess and they may guess wrong. Well-intentioned, oh but right, but they're going to go off wherever they think the right answer is. But that's where you get the you know 30 people in 43 directions because everybody thought they were going the right way because nobody was clearly communicating and keeping it concise of like, guys, it's these three things, guys, it's these three things, guys, it's these three things. And when you do that, while it might feel repetitive as a leader, it's what we need as people to know that we're on track. A CEO once told me the hardest thing that he ever had to learn was that he had to repeat things enough times to the point where he was sick of saying it before it finally started to stick. And he went on to say, he said, well, early in my career, when I was put into this position, the mistake that I made was because I was the CEO, I thought that if I told Ken the one time and I told James the one time, 
then it would make sense and it would tick. But what he, you know, my interpretation of that is we forget that we might spend 10,000 hours thinking about this stuff. And it's been a career for us. It's It's been years in the making. And we have all this collection of experience and thought and, and it's shaped by and influenced by all these people. And though we try and take a concept and we, we re, try to restate it in a 30-minute rallying point meeting, and then we're disappointed when people don't get it. You know, that's that's just a real gap in communication. Yeah, there's lots of studies around different numbers, but it's some like seven times is a fairly common, I think, number that people throw out there. Like you need to hear it seven times before yeah. it really sinks in. Yeah, as leaders, we tend to get tired of saying it long before people are tired of hearing it. There you go. And so we, we end up giving up sooner than we should because it's not quite sunk into them yet. So yeah, then I've got some communication strategies for people and some tactics that they can use both globally and locally to reinforce these things. You know, there's some daily things you can do to reinforce your purpose and your mission and your what, your big rocks. Uh, and there's some weekly things you can do and monthly and quarterly. And when that all starts adding up, those naturally create that repetition that people crave and that people need if you want to keep them aligned. Ask anyone in business, what's the number one thing you hear that can be improved at our company? And I'm willing to bet that nine times out of 10, you'll hear that we could be better at communication. In this next section, Ken shares what he feels are some go-to winning strategies for closing those communication gaps. All right, well, I'm going to start with the biggest one because if you'd only do one, please do this one. And that is have a daily huddle. And it's a 10-minute meeting. Now, there's a, a number of different reasons why you want that huddle. There's some... Uh, where are people stuck aspect to it. There's some metrics. It's a chance to communicate some metrics of how we're doing. The biggest one though, from a culture standpoint is it's a chance to get together and remind each other that we're here to see each other and to remind each other that we care about each other, care about each other as teammates. We all are in this together. We all want the same thing. One thing I like to say is uh, when people say like, well, they did this or they did that. I said, whoa, 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 they don't work here. Only we work here. So it's a chance when you have that, that stand-up meeting, that daily huddle to remind each other that, yeah, this is us. We're the team and we care about each other and we, we all want the same thing. We all want to succeed and we're all here to help each other succeed. And primarily we do that by doing our own job. Don't abandon your job to go and help me do my job. Do your job first. But then offer help if you have capacity. But the idea is that we all are trying to work together. We might have all different roles, but we're all trying to do the same thing. And that's move the ball downfield. I love the football analogy because in football, it's pretty clear. You've got very distinct roles. You've got on offense, you've got linemen and you've got running backs and receivers and the quarterback. They all have different jobs, but together they're all trying to accomplish the same thing. They're all trying to get the ball in the end zone. And so when you have your daily huddle and it needs to be daily and, and a lot of pushback is like, well, we don't have time for that. You know, can I do it once, once a week? Isn't that enough? Do you know how much money is tied up when I add up all the salaries standing in this circle? Cause if you're in person, I absolutely recommend that you get together physically in one place and, and probably stand in a circle is the most effective way of doing it. Uh, if not, if you're remote, go to zoom or, or whatever platform and you'll have a bunch of squares and, but you'll see each other. 
and you can still have a, a productive conversation and you'll still get the benefits of seeing and knowing each other's there. And then how can I help you and who need, who's stuck, who needs something, but it, it can be 10 minutes. You can accomplish a ton in 10 minutes. If nothing else, it's just that repetition of again, daily reminder daily reminder of, of what, what we're trying to do, those big rocks, and why we do what we do, and how we do what we do. And it's a place to reinforce core values. You can laugh and joke a little bit. You can get a lot done that carries a lot and carries people into and brings them up and fills them with positivity that carries them through their day and reminds them of why we're here and what we're doing and that they're not alone especially with remote workforces. It reminds you you're not alone. It's, it's easy once you shut your, your uh, camera off and, and you're not on a, a meeting of some sort and you're trying to do work and you look around, you're literally alone in your house often now rather than surrounded by other people. And so it's just at least once a day, we're going to get together and we're going we're gonna to do this thing. So the, the daily huddle, I just think is so important for a lot of reasons, but for building a recession-proof culture, absolutely vital. So you might be thinking just like I am, how do you keep that daily huddle? How do you keep that fresh? How do you keep it feeling new? Sure. Yeah. The agenda that I've, I've been working with clients on for years is some kind of a good news and success. First couple minutes, just good news and su- success. Now that good news could be my dog had puppies. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be, I closed a sale, but it could be. So business or non-business, but just something that, again, this is going to be positive and it's going to help us get to know each other. If I raise my hand and say, hey, my dog had puppies, that tells you something about me. Now you know Ken's interested in dogs and you know he's maybe got cute pictures of his puppies. And so it's just a connection point for people to get to know each other. And so, so spend a couple minutes on that. That's a place where I've encouraged people also to reinforce core values. So let's say a core value is appreciation. You know, we, we appreciate each other. We encourage each other. Well, here's a chance to say, hey, who's got good news or appreciation? And now people can raise their hand and shout each other out like, hey, really want to appreciate Sandy. Yesterday, she did this for me or really want to appreciate Scott. You know, he yesterday he took, you know, I called him. I needed a quick thing. He jumped off it, helped me out, got back, got me back on track, whatever. Uh, so it's a chance to reinforce core value. So that's your first couple minutes and let it go kind of as long as it goes. Now, it's people like, what if it goes like half an hour? It's not going to go half an hour. It's going to go a couple minutes, you know, on any given day, two to five people are going to raise their hand and that's it. And everybody kind of has a sense. It's like applause. Like you kind of have a sense of when it's winding down and we're done clapping, right? Clapping doesn't go on forever endlessly. Like people are like, okay, we're wrapping it up. That's your first couple minutes. Then go into some metrics. Now, ideally, those metrics are tied to your big rocks so people can get that sense of progress. Are we, are we moving forward on the things we committed to doing? Maybe you've got a big North Star type metrics. That's your why. Like we've got a challenge to, you know, uh, bring this solution to X hundred thousand million, whatever people in the next pick a timeline. So we're going to, we're going to bring, you know, we're going to get this many people on our platform. We're going to get 500,000 people on the platform by the end of the year. Well, let's track how we're doing on that. And then let's bring it back to a quarterly task. Like we're going to make X amount of prospecting phone calls. How many did we make yesterday? So it can be things like more traditional, like sales, or if you're manufacturing environment, it could be on-time shipments or your quality score. That's all in bounds. If, you're, if it's more of a knowledge-based business, it could be some of these other things. Maybe it's conversion rate if it's a web-based thing. You know, you'll know what makes sense. But 
have it tied to the core value, or the, I'm sorry, the, the quarterly rocks, ideally. But they don't have to be. People just like to see progress because the question is, are we getting better, getting worse, or doing the same? People want to know. So here's a chance to communicate that. So that's your second handful of minutes. And then the last couple minutes are who's stuck. Raise your hand if you're stuck or you need help. And here's a chance to build some accountability into your team. You can raise your hand and say, I, I need this thing. Who can help me? Or I need, you know, maybe it's a specific person. Hey, hey, Bob, I need this thing. When can you get that for me? Now, Bob's going to make a public commitment. I can have it for you by Thursday, Ken. Now, he just told the whole team he's going to have it by Thursday. That leaves Bob with two choices for the rest of the week. Get it done by Thursday or call me ahead of time and tell me I can't get it done and let's renegotiate the deadline. But now it prevents Bob from having to hear me go, do you have it? 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 All week long and, and pestering him prevents me from wasting my time, you know, chasing him down. Everybody can step back and go, yeah, we don't need to talk about that again. Bob's going to deliver that on Thursday or he's going to call Ken ahead of time and renegotiate. Those are the only two things that are going to happen now. And so it gives people that opportunity to raise their hand and get some help and then create some accountability. And I've seen it over and over in different businesses. You can do this in 10 minutes. You can have that rich conversation with some appreciation, bring some core values in, good news. It's positive. We see each other. We laugh a little bit. Let's do some metrics that pull together and make real. Are we progressing on the things we said were important? And then who needs help and who's stuck? And let's, let's build some accountability so we can all get back to work. Excellent. Excellent advice. I love that. I mean, honestly, Ken, that's, that's one of the things that I think we talk about, hey, you should have huddles. And people listen to that and, and they think that maybe we should do that. The, the challenge for them is, is taking it from concept to actually implementation. That's always been the struggle. And so mm -hmm. that's why I'm very grateful that you peeled it apart and said, listen, just break it down these three ways and do this. That's going to make a great huddle. And then as you kind of ease into it as a manager, uh, you're learning well, we could take it this direction, or maybe we could we could introduce this. Or if you just keep it to those three things consistently, your your engagement, which is where you know I started to ask this question. This is what leads to employee engagement. We don't need to try to create employee engagement. We need to do the little things that matter to people that get them cause them to be engaged. Because if we're doing those huddles on a consistent basis, and let's say we're doing a few other things, employee engagement becomes something you don't have to worry about all that much because people are engaged in what's going on and therefore hopefully they're liking their job as well i mean that's the that's the outcome and that's the again where it gets blurry for people is love of the job liking of the job the joy and those things that they want but it's also then the tangible elements yeah absolutely and one fun twist that uh, i've introduced at a number of different companies is to rotate who leads that meeting because somebody's got to facilitate that somebody's got to call on the people with their hands up somebody's got to you know move us on to the next topic and bring things you know we're, okay let's wrap that up onto metrics or whatever it is i've seen people rotate that so they just write all the names on a, on a whiteboard and then you just go through the list and so you know every week typically somebody else is going to run the meeting and and that can scare some people like, oh, I'm not good in front of people. But you get to the point that it's it's just a social gathering. That, like, listen, these are my teammates. I, people want you to succeed. Nobody's here to play gotcha or to make you look bad. And we're going to laugh and it's going to be fun. And yeah, everybody 
feels a little bit awkward leading that meeting because we're so used to only the leader leads. But when you start rotating that through your entire team and everybody kind of knows they're going to have to have their week, but the bigger your team, the less frequent your week comes up. And it's just another way to engage people. It's another way and to see another side of people. You know, sometimes you get the person that you would have never thought could lead a meeting like that or be funny or, you know, direct traffic and move us through there efficiently. Like, wow, they've got some skills. I, I didn't know that about them. And just, it, you know, it's a chance for people to shine. And because the team's there to support them because we all want to win and we're there to help each other, it's just another way to get some engagement. So I just, I just throw that out there because I've seen that be a really successful kind of twist or add on to the huddle. When you have a strong culture and engaged employees, it gets noticed and it gets talked about. In fact, one of the biggest differences between great workplaces and average workplaces is how employees talk about the company outside of work. They say things like, you really should apply here, you'd love it, instead of talking bad about how horrible it is. I asked Ken what it means to be an employer of choice. Let's hear what he has to say about being attractive. And back to the beginning of our conversation, James, where we said, what are people concerned about as we think about a recession? It's attracting and retaining talent. And so I use a phrase that I think started from like some kind of a dating or courtship type book, but it's be the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. And so if you're looking for somebody who's an active person, they like to be outdoors and, and they, they've got career aspirations and you know, they're, they're going places and doing things, that's who your ideal mate is, well, then you've got to be the kind of person that would be attracted to be attractive to that person. You got to be the kind of person that that person is looking for. You can't be somebody who likes to sit around and do nothing and have no goals and no motivation and think like, yeah, that person, they're going to really be into me. No, they're not. Well, this all translates to business. Uh, you know, we all hear or have heard or seen in movies where they're like, can't find good help. There's no people that want to do this stuff anymore. Well, that's all places and all seasons. And yet, Companies thrive, other companies thrive in all places and all seasons. Well, what's different? Well, I, I bring it down to attractiveness. You've got to be attractive. If you're looking for these A players, these talented people, these people that you know, can really move the needle in your business, well, are you the kind of business that kind of person is looking for? So again, be the company the person you're looking for is looking for. It's the same idea. You need to be the kind of place that some high-level person, highly motivated, highly talented person would want to come and work. And if you're having trouble finding people, it's a hard conversation a lot of times, but I strongly suggest people hold up a mirror. Start with the mirror, not the window. Don't look out there for what's wrong with all those people who don't want to work and you know whatever happened economically or politically that changed the landscape. No, no, no. Look at the mirror. Who are you? Because again, in all times and all seasons, somebody's thriving. And I would suggest in a lot of cases, the person who's thriving, the company who's thriving is the one who's attractive, that people want to be there. And so are, can you look in the mirror and say, yeah, we're the kind of company that the people we're looking for are looking for. And if not, that's okay. What do we got to do? What do we need to do honestly, truly, and then let's go do those things. What do we got to do to be the kind of place that people want to work, the people we're looking for want to work, 
right? And so, so that's what I think is really important to attracting and retaining is define, now it gets back to why are we doing this? How are we going to do it? Core values. But once you define that and you know who you're looking for, well, then are you really the kind of company that that person would want to work at? You know, and, and I'll kind of add to this. Uh, one of the things that I think is a tremendous benefit of having that designation, that perspective that people have in public of being an employer of choice is that when you have an open position, that instead of having three candidates that you feel you have to settle on, like, ah, mm-hmm. I, I guess we'll choose Susie. <laughs> instead of having it that way, you've got three candidates sitting in front of you that you don't want to say no to any of them. And so you're, it's almost becomes an opportunistic hire at that point where we don't want to let Frank and Johnny go either because we're going to hire Susie, but I think they could find a place here. And so you start to look at it that way. That's a happier problem. It's still a problem mm-hmm. to have making yeah. that choice, but it's a much happier problem than feeling like you have to settle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ken, this has been really insightful for me. It's been fun to hear your perspectives on this and your approaches and your methods and uh, the work that you're doing is incredibly important. So I would love for you to just share, like, what are some of the ways that people can get in touch with you? And what are some other projects ma- that maybe you want to share w- with uh, with our listeners today? Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan, as I know you are too, James, of, of the telephone. Like no better way than a synchronous conversation. And and I'm available. If I, if I don't answer the phone, I will call you back. So my phone number is lots of places. It's on my LinkedIn profile contact. It's on my website, but I'll also share it right now. Uh, 616-822-2998. Go ahead and give me a call. I'm open to having a conversation around what you've got going on. If you're struggling with your culture, if you're struggling to attract, attract or retain people, if you've lost a big customer and you're not sure how to, how to restructure your team, not necessarily like downsize people, but just how do we refocus energy to get new clients back or whatever your issue is, my guess is because of my experience is you've got a people problem. You've got a communication problem. You've got an engagement or alignment problem. You don't really have a sales problem or a manufacturing problem or a supply chain problem. Now you might, but the root cause of that is probably somewhere buried in people and communication. So let's talk about that. I would love to have a conversation. You can find me on my website, clarityadvisors.io. Uh, I've got a podcast, The Clarity Advisor Show. You can find that either from the website or theclarityadvisorshow.com is, is a way to get there. It's on Spotify, Google, Apple, all those things. But yeah, mostly pick up the phone and, and give me a call and let's talk about what's on your mind. Uh, I love talking about business. You can probably sense that. And so I would love to just hear what you got going on and maybe give you some ideas. Uh, if there's a way that we can work together, I would love that, but I never expect that. I always mm-hmm. expect that I'm going to be able to make maybe a couple suggestions, point you to a book, point you to another research resource, or maybe I know somebody that might be a great fit for you to either connect with or consider engaging. Uh, you know, it's it's going to work out. There's a, I try to have an abundance mindset. There's plenty of work. There's plenty to do. There's plenty of things to improve in the world. There's enough for everybody. There's more than enough for everybody. So I don't need to hold it close to the vest like only call me if you're going to buy something from me or if you can hire me or, <laughs> yeah. you know, only call me if I, you know, if there's some transaction there, no, 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 just, just pick up the phone. Let's have a conversation. Let's see how we can help each other. And, and if nothing else now, now we've got another, another person in our network. You know, I love yeah. to have quality people, you know, if opportunities come from other people and I would like to have more opportunities, what do I need? Well, I need to know more people. So, you know, I, I just start with make friends first. 
Well, what a great mindset. What a what I mean, just what a great way to close that. And I I, I love the concept of the abundance mindset and and as the more that we bring that into our business, the more attractive that is to to not just uh, in potential employees, but it's attractive to the people that we already have. It's attractive to the people who want to buy what we have. So, Ken, wow, thank you so much. I look forward to, uh, to, to further conversations, future conversations with you. I just want to thank you again for being part of the show. Absolutely. My pleasure, James. Thank you so much. All right. We'll catch you all right here on the next episode of Lead Through Values. Thank you.